23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff will comfort me. You prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, Bobby. Ah, man, this is such a good psalm. Um, in case that didn't tip you off, if, if this is your first week, if you missed the last couple of weeks, or if maybe just a reminder will help, we are studying Psalm 23. It's a beautiful psalm written by a man named David, celebrating his relationship with God. I'll recap a little bit of what we've gone through, because we have to remember that it all builds on one another. But before we really dive in, please join me in prayer. God, thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you that we lack nothing in you. Thank you that you have pastures intended for us to rest in so that you can restore us. Thank you for the promises in this psalm. And as we study your word today, God, we ask that you open our minds and our eyes beyond what they have been before so that we can see you and understand you and know you deeper and deeper. And we can come to know you better and we can love you more and we can offer up our lives as sacrifices every moment of our day. You are so good, God, and we give you this time. Let this be a time that pleases you, that gives you glory. Let our hearts be yours in this time. Free us from distraction. Let us be able to focus on your majesty as we study your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 23, we started with two weeks ago. We started with David's kind of opening idea, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And we looked at that he chose Yahweh for the Lord. And that was God's name for himself. That was the name that God used to describe himself. And we looked at the significance of Yahweh and what that implied, the power and the weight that that carried and how the people would have sat up and, and taken notice of this. And then we looked at, okay, shepherd. What does that imply? What does that mean for our lives? What are the implications of being sheep in God's flock? And we asked ourselves, are we truly submitted and surrendered to the shepherd? Do we trust him for all of our provision and our sustenance, our protection and our direction? And we spent a week praying, Lord, teach us to submit to you. Teach us to be your sheep. And then last week, we moved on to the second half of David's thesis statement, right? His opening line. We looked at, I lack nothing. I shall not want. And we looked at the truth found throughout Scripture that in the Lord we have everything we need. And so we asked ourselves, what would our lives look like if we were truly grateful and content? What would a spirit of contentment look like if it defined who we are? Do we trust God to be everything in our lives? And we spent this past week identifying what are new things to be grateful for, to recognize how good God is to us. And that's how David begins, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yahweh is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And now David starts to expand on that. 
he starts to look at, okay, specifically, what does this mean? If Yahweh is my shepherd and I shall not want, there is nothing I lack because of whose flock I belong to. What does that look like day to day? And he starts to lay out what that really means. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at verse 2 and the first half of verse 3. It is this beautiful idea that goes well together. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And isn't there a part of you, right? Isn't there a part of you that hears, wait a minute, green pastures, still waters, and that sounds like a vacation spot. He makes me lie down? That No, like I... I'd commit a small felony to get a chance to relax and rest for just a day, right? Like, isn't there a part of you that hears he makes me do this? And we're like, mm, I don't know. But let's think about it. And see, here's, here's why you all know, and I mean, this morning, multiple, I, I'm going home with, there's a, there's a motto I try and live by, always return home with more books than you left with. And I'm going home with four new things to read today. So clearly you guys know me well. But I love reading. I will always make a plug for reading. And one of the reasons I do that is because it is a great way to learn. I am not a farmer. I have never been a farmer. I don't come from a family of farmers. I did not marry into a farming family. I know nothing about farming. I also know nothing about farming in David's time. Right? I have no clue anything about farming in David's time when he would have written this. But there are people who do. And they write about it so that I can read it and I can learn it. And I've, I've been studying right, farming back in this time, and I'm learning some incredible things. For example, shepherds. I hear shepherd, and I think, oh, he's the guy who just kind of, you know, leads the sheep along. He's walking at the back with his curved staff, right? That's a shepherd. Well, no, because what, and I kind of knew this, right, based on the geographic area, but green pastures, still waters, that was not all over the place in the geographic region that David would have been a shepherd in. Right? It's not like in David's area, he would have been able to walk out the door and be like, green pasture, green pasture, green pasture. Man, I've got my choice. No, that is not this geographic region. So a shepherd in that day and age would have also had to have been a landscape planner. They would have had to have knowledge of irrigation. They would have had to have knowledge of horticulture and botany. They would have been able to create these places of green pastures and still waters for their sheep because they were not naturally occurring. So when David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, David knows that a shepherd's job is to not just lead the sheep to this place, but to create this place for them because it was not there for them to just pick and choose from, right? The shepherd had to be very intentional about making a spot for his sheep to exist in and not just exist in, but to thrive in. And when he says, he makes me lie down, sheep are very restless. So you will lead them to a green pasture and still water, and then they'll get distracted by a little clump of grass over on that hill, and they'll start to wander. And then they'll be on that hill, and they'll see a little bit of grass a little bit further away, and they'll be like, man, this grass wasn't enough because it's tiny, so they'll wander to the next hill. And they'll keep getting distracted, and they'll keep wandering, looking for sustenance, not realizing they left a pasture behind them. Or they'll be in the pasture, and a rock slide would happen, right? or a tree branch would break, and the sheep would get spooked by this unexpected event, and they would bolt. And they would forget that we're in a safe place. We're in a place where we were meant to be and to thrive. And they would panic, and they would flee. Or they'd be in the pasture, and they would see a coyote or a wolf, right, appear up on a hillside. And they would panic and say, oh, there's an enemy in my sight. I need to get out of here. And they would forget that, no, this is where the shepherd wants me. The shepherd is here with me 
to protect me, to provide for me. See, sheep forget that the shepherd intentionally made this pasture for them to thrive in. And I really am betting that a lot of you see the parallels where I'm going with this. How often do we do this in our own lives? We look at where God has created for us, and we have to remember that God has specifically created a pasture for us, and we'll look at what that is. But we're where God has placed us, and we get distracted. Well, that hill looks pretty good. I can still see this pasture. I'm just going to go check that out. And then you're on that hill, and you're like, oh, there's, there's really not enough here for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go one hill more and one hill more. And before you know it, you're wandering the desert wondering, why is life so hard? Why is there not enough sustenance out here? What, what's going on? Because we've gotten distracted and we've wandered away. Or something happens and we panic, right? The rock slide happens and we panic and we bolt. Okay, well, I can't be here. This isn't a good place to be. This isn't safe. I see an enemy and I panic and I bolt. And we're thinking, really? Do we really do this? Is this really? Yes, we see this throughout Scripture all the time. We're going to be in three. Oh, man, this is going to be great. We're going to be in three main passages today to go along with Psalm 23. And we're going to look at, in all three of these passages, you see the same three ideas. See, because studying Scripture, you start pulling on a thread, right? And you see a thread, and then you find it connected over here, and then you find it connected over here. And as you step back, all of a sudden you see that all these threads are woven together to form a beautiful tapestry. And so not only is there great detail, right? You're looking at a little tiny spider. Wow, the detail in this is incredible. And then you take a step back and you see the common threads roll open throughout Scripture and you, you see the big picture. And it's incredible and it's so much more rich and vivid than that little section. So that's what we're going to do. And the first, the first passage we're going to look at that I would invite you guys to turn to is in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30. And we're going to read verses 15 through 18 of Isaiah 30. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. So this is the Lord speaking. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling and you said, no, we will flee upon horses. Therefore, you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. We see this. We see God say to his people, you're going to flee. I'm going to tell you it's okay, and you're going to flee. You're going to panic. At the sight of a thousand, or at the sight of one, a thousand will flee. At the sight of five, you will flee. So the Lord waits to be gracious, and we'll look at that. But we see this in Isaiah. We also see this in Psalm 46. And this is just this is a verse that I'm guessing Psalm 46.10 that a lot of you guys are familiar with. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. And we hear that and we think, what a beautiful verse. What a nice, calm, lovely verse. But we have to look at the context, right? If, if you get nothing else, understand this. Context is so crucial. Because here's what we see in the rest of Psalm 46 leading up to these ten, that verse 10. Starting in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. 
Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And it goes on to that. So when we hear Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, he's not saying just be still for stillness' sake. The precedent to that is everything terrible is happening around you. The mountains are trembling. The earth is shaking. The waters are roaring. People are panicking and fleeing their cities. But in the city of the God, be still and know that I am Lord. It's the same idea we saw in Isaiah, right? You're going to be tempted to flee. But there is a place that God has designed for you and designed for us. And he's saying, calm down. This past week was a week of loss, right? Whether you look at the big national scale or you look at local, there were very notable losses for this country. It's all people we're talking about, right? When stuff like that happens, it's when life gets hard that we're most tempted to panic and to run. When the mountains are trembling, when the earth is shaking, when the waters are roaring. And what God is saying is, no, I am Lord. Stay in this pasture that I have made for you. Yes, I know there's reasons to panic. Yes, I know that you're tempted to flee. I know you're tempted to be scared. But lie down in the pasture that I have made for you, right? Why? Why does God say this? So the first idea we see, the first idea that we looked at is God has made this pasture for us and lie down, stay in it, be still. Other translations of verse four, uh, 46, 10 say cease striving. This is a society that is obsessed with busyness, right? If you work hard enough, you can change your circumstances. If you work at it enough, things will be different. We are obsessed with striving and God says cease striving. Be still. Know that I am God. I have made this place for you. It's where I intend for you to be. Why? What happens when we cease striving? In Isaiah 30, what did it say? It said, in rest and returning, you will be saved. Right? What does he say? This isn't a trick question. Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores what is restoration? Restoration is halting the progress in one direction and returning it to its original intended state, right? The exact same idea we see in Isaiah. In returning, you will be saved. If your hobby is restoring old cars or restoring old cabinets, right? Like you've got rust, you've got decay moving it in one direction and you stop that and you restore it to what it's intended to be. And so we see this. We see this in Psalm. We see this in Isaiah. In returning and in rest, you will be saved. We'll look at some of Jesus' words because we see the same thing that Jesus says. This is in Matthew. Matthew 11. Oh, turned too far. You've got Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We overlook these words, right? We overlook these promises. We overlook and rest in returning, you will be saved. Turn to me, take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. And we continue in the direction we're going. 
wondering why life is such a burden. And we continue in the direction we're going, wondering why it feels like we can't get enough and why nothing is working. And God is saying, return to me. Lay down, stay where I've meant for you to be so that I can restore you. Because that's what God desires is restoration. He wants to restore you. He doesn't want you to be wandering through this life exhausted, thinking it's miserable. And what does he restore? Again, not a trick question. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We saw the exact same thing in Jesus' words. Come to me, take my yoke upon you and find rest for your souls. Wait a minute, Sam. You said we see all three ideas in Isaiah, right? I, you didn't say the word souls in Isaiah. You talked about returning and rest. You, you talked about restoration. But we don't see souls. Ah, good observation. But this is why we study. This is why it's fascinating, because we pull the threads and we begin looking at things, right? And we see, no, this is throughout Scripture the same idea. Soul is one of those words that we use kind of, we use it, but I wonder how many of us really understand what it means. And I've taught about this in some of my classes. I've talked about this in some of my sermons in the past. And I wonder if anyone remembers, but soul is a Hebrew word for self. And that's still a little bit of a nebulous concept, right? Like yourself. But so what this word, what this Hebrew word for soul means is your passions, your desires, the things you crave, your appetite. That's what soul is. Soul is what you, it's the essence of who you are. It is what you are most passionate about. It is what drives you, what consumes you. That's what soul is, right? And so when Jesus is talking about rest, when David is writing about rest, he's saying God doesn't restore your health. He doesn't restore your finances. He doesn't restore your relationships. He restores, he goes to the heart of it. He restores your soul. So the question we have to ask ourselves, am I passionate about God? Do I desire God? Do I crave God? I mean, my appetite is my appetite for the Lord. And that's a tough question, but that's what we're getting at. Okay, Sam, I, I'm kind of tracking, but you still didn't talk about Isaiah. Soul still doesn't appear in that, that passage. Okay, still a good observation. But again, this is why we study. This is why we go deep. Because there's another word that appears twice in that passage in Isaiah, in the last verse. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious, and then blessed are all those who wait on him. You know what that word wait means? We hear wait, and we think like, okay, I'm waiting at the BMV. I really don't want to be here, but I'm waiting. I'm bored. I'd rather be elsewhere, but I'm waiting. That's not what that word means. That word wait in the original language means you're waiting with eager anticipation. You can't wait, right? It's also translated as you long for. The image, the thing that pops into mind, who's got dogs, right? Where are my dog people? Dogs, they're the best, right? There we go, dog people. We've got a little dog, right? When we get home, with the way our house works, you open the door, you've got a couple steps up into the kitchen, and then you've got another kitchen door, and that's where his dog gate is right? 
when we, as soon as we unlock that door, you hear the scrabbling of feet on our hardwood. And he comes flying around the corner and presses up against that gate, right? And his whole body is shaking because he can't wait to be with us. He is so excited. He is consumed with, I just want to be with you. That's what that word wait means. That verse where it says, the Lord waits to be gracious on you. Blessed are those who wait for him. It's not saying that God's sitting around twiddling his thumbs like, hmm, yeah. It's not saying blessed are those who are sitting around twiddling their thumbs like, meh, meh. It's God can't wait. God longs to be gracious for you. He longs to exalt you. It brings him joy. And it's saying blessed are those who long for God, who can't wait to be with God. They're consumed with being with God. Does that sound like desire? Does that sound like passion? Does that sound like your appetite? So in all three passages, and this is what I mean, you see these threads connecting everything and you get the big picture. And it makes me think of in Chronicles of Narnia, I love C.S. Lewis because he's a genius, right? And in Chronicles of Narnia, in the last book, they're in Aslan's kingdom. And the eagle is flying with them as they explore the lands. And the eagle says, further children, faster. Run further, run faster. And they do. It says they run further and faster. And there is always more ahead of them. But they run without tiring for they are in Aslan's country. That's what studying scripture is. That's why I love studying these verses and taking the time to dive in. Because I feel like God is saying, further, faster, children. There is so much more. Look at these words. Look at how Psalm 23 and Isaiah 30 and Matthew 11, look at how they tie together and learn this truth. That I have created a place for you. I have intentionally in the barren wilderness sculpted out and landscaped and irrigated and made a pasture for you. And I want you to be there. Why? So that I can restore your soul. You're tired, you're weary, yes, I know, I get that. That is why I have made this place for you, so that you can abide in it and you can thrive in it. Right, the pasture isn't designed so that the sheep can barely scrape out an existence. One of my wife's favorite verses is John 10.10. The thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, or have it to the fullest. God has created a pasture for us to be in, not so that we can barely scrape out a meager existence, but so that we can thrive. And that's what we see in Psalms. That's what we see in Isaiah. That's what we see in Matthew. We see this truth of return to me. You are heading in that direction. The natural flow of life is taking you away from me. It's filling your lives with busyness. It's filling your lives with chaos. Return to me. Find rest. Find peace, find strength, find saving so that I can restore your soul. I can look at what you're passionate about. I can look at what you crave and I can return it to be about me. That's what we see in these passages. That's, that's the thread that unites all of them. And we get this truth in scripture and it's beautiful. And that sounds great, right? Okay, that, that sounds pretty good. I want that. But how? How? How am I supposed to get this? When everything is moving me in the opposite direction, Sam, how? How do I get to that pasture? Where is that pasture? What does it look like? I don't have a pasture in my life. Well, let's go back to one of the passages we looked at. Let's go back to Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me. This is Christ speaking. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Luke, show them the picture. That's a yoke. Would any of you describe that as light and easy? Right? A massive wooden log with some metal driven through it. You look at that and your first thought is not, that looks light and easy. So why am I called to yoke myself to Christ? How can that be a pasture of rest and restoration? You know what the purpose of a yoke is? You yoke a weaker, less experienced, less mature animal with one that is stronger and wiser and knows what it's doing so that the weaker animal can learn from the stronger one. That's how a yoke would work so that the wiser one, the more mature one, the stronger one could train the younger one. So what is this pasture that we are designed to live in? I talked about shepherds creating this place meant for their sheep to thrive in. Where are we meant to be? We are meant to be yoked to Christ. We are meant to be attached to him so that where he goes, we go. Because that's the other thing about a yoke. You can't go in two directions, right? If I'm yoked to you and you start heading that way, I can't start heading this way. That's not how it works. So we go where Jesus goes. We are meant to be yoked to him. We will find it easy and light. Jesus even says, learn from me. Where is our pasture? Our pasture is firmly yoked to Christ. And this isn't the only time Jesus talks about this. Again, you see the same ideas. I want you to realize how connected Scripture is, right? The fourth passage we're going to look at is John, John 11. No, John 15. Sorry, John 15, 1 through 11. This is one of, so I say this a lot, right? This is one of my favorite verses and stuff. This is legitimately top three chapters of the Bible. Like, John 15, James 1, and Ephesians 3. This is one of my all-time go-to top three. Listen to what Jesus says. Keep in mind, so as I, as I read these words, as you listen to these words, keep in mind the visual of a yoke, okay? Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. You're going to hear that word abide pop up a lot in this passage. That's another one of those words like soul that we use, but I wonder, do we really know what it means? Abide means to stay fixed in, okay? You can use it interchangeably with it if you want yoked. So when you hear abide, think of Okay, I am connected to Christ. I'm not going anywhere. If he turns left, I turn left. If he turns right, I turn right. I am in Christ's footsteps. So think of that when you hear abide. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we realize that? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And then we wonder why as we wander on our own, leaving the yoke behind us, it seems so much harder than it should be. Jesus says it as plainly as you can get. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I love dreaming about what it would look like 
if every Christian in America lived that out, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. I can't work without Christ. I can't be a, a husband without Christ. I can't be a father without Christ. I can't be a friend without Christ. I can't be a part of the church without Christ. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. So I am going to commit myself to abiding in Christ. That's my dream. I, I love dreaming of what that will look like when we are a church who knows that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So we choose to stay fixed in Christ. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And again, you talk about the connectedness of Scripture so that by these things your joy may be full. John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. You don't see isolated ideas. You see truths woven throughout this incredible story so that we see God in all of it. But what Jesus says, what we see in Matthew, what we see in John is, look, you are meant to be yoked to me. Jesus is telling his disciples, you're wondering what life is about? Life is about being yoked to me. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we yoked to Christ? When it talks about, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, we have to ask ourselves, am I choosing to stay in the pasture that God has intended for me, abiding in Christ? Do my words reflect this? Do my actions reflect this? Do my relationship with my neighbors, with my coworkers reflect this? Or am I trying to be in a marriage on my own? And maybe that's why our marriages feel tired, because we're looking at another person to provide the perfect love that only God can. And we're putting a burden on our spouse that they were never intended to bear, because we're trying to do our marriages on our own without abiding in Christ. In our relationship with our kids or our parents or our brothers or our sisters, they feel tired because we're looking at our siblings, we're looking at our family members for the support and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy and the love that only God can provide, not realizing that they're doing the same thing with us. And you have broken people trying to lean on broken people, and Jesus is saying, no, return to me. Take my yoke upon you. Find rest for your souls. It is easy. It is light. Maybe our jobs are such a pain and such a weight because we're looking for meaning and purpose in our relationship with our coworkers, not realizing that the Bible also says, do everything for the glory of God. Work as though for God and not for man, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do. We see this multiple times throughout Scripture, work for the Lord, but we look at our jobs and we try and find purpose in them apart from God. And Jesus is saying, no, abide in me. Take my yoke upon you. Live as I live. Love as I loved. Talk as I talked. Treat people the way I treated people. I mean, do you know Jesus' life? When it says abide in me, remain fixed in me, can you say you know Jesus' life? You know how he talked. You know how he walked. You know how he treated people. You know how he interacted with the Pharisees and how he interacted with the disciples. You know Jesus' life because you are firmly in his footsteps, yoked to him in everything. 
If we find ourselves wandering, looking for nutrition, looking for, oh my goodness, I just, I need to get to the next hill. Maybe we have to admit we're way more like those sheep than we care to admit. The shepherd has brought us to a pasture and says, this, this is where I've intended for you. And we wander. I mean, do we realize on a practical level, do we realize that God created the church? Like this is not a man-made institution, right? God, if you look, look at the New Testament, look at Acts, look at Ephesians, look at how he talks about the body. God planned the church to come together and to provide for one another. What you lack and what you lack and what I lack, because what I lack, you have. And we can be there for one another. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. God created the church for his glory and for his people. And we wander. We wander from the pasture of the body of Christ. And then we wonder why it's so hard. God created marriage to glorify his name. Right? We see my spouse, Christ, and I are a three-corded string. We cannot be broken. They use the illustration of a bridegroom and a bride for Christ and the church. Marriage was created by God to glorify his name and to give us a partner. And we try and do it without God, and we wonder why it feels so difficult. And I have to ask myself, are we going through life refusing to accept the yoke of Christ and then wondering why it's so hard? Have we wandered from this pasture? Have we looked at the green meadows and said, ah, I'm just going to check out that hill quickly, just for a little bit. I'm going I'm to go over there and see what they have to offer. And then we don't find enough, so we keep searching and we keep looking and we've left behind the pasture that God has intended for us to stay in. We listen to so many other sources in this world. I really don't think this is complicated. I really don't think it is. I think it's simple. God says, this is what I've made for you because I love you. Live in it. And I think we've allowed it to get complicated because we don't want to stay in a pasture. It's tragically ironic to me, right? One of the big movements over the last year, two years, six months, whatever time frame you want, self-care, right? Everything is now about self-care. And I don't mean like physical. I mean like you've got to make sure you're getting the mental, physical, emotional, like take care of yourself, right? You're too stressed. We know you're too stressed. Here's, so when you're in the, I noticed this the other day. I was at the grocery store, and I'm looking at the magazine articles, right? And every, almost every magazine had something about, you know, five steps to help you relax more, seven tips to help you have a better view of yourself, Eight ways to declutter your life, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys seen these headlines? See the blog posts and stuff, right? We're, we're obsessed with this. You know what else is on every single one of those magazine covers? Here are the 10 home projects you need to get done before February. Are your kids involved in enough activities to make Harvard interested in them? Here are the eight ways you can improve yourself in 30 minutes or less. Here are 17 workouts you can sneak in between the chores. Right? So you've got this dichotomy. You have the world saying, okay, this clearly isn't working. This is not going well for us. We need to start looking at this, but we refuse to let go of doing more and of busying ourselves. And maybe if we just work harder, it'll get better. Maybe if we cram more in, it'll work out. 
And I wonder, I wonder how many times we look at our lives and we look at, to go back to Psalm 46, we look at everything roaring around us and we panic. And I wonder how often we just need to be reminded, no, cease striving. Be still and know that I am God. And that's what I want to wrap up with this, with this, this challenge, right? We've been doing, I've been giving you guys a challenge for every week and a Bible passage to read. So this week, we're going to start with the easier one. This week, let's read John 15, 1 to 11, all right? Those 11 verses, read them daily and print them on your hearts. Learn them, pray them. God, teach me to abide in you. Teach me what that looks like. Teach me what that means. And then here's my challenge for us to do. We're escalating things a little bit. That's a good thing. I want us to cease striving. Pick something in your week. Pick something in your day that you choose to do. Right? I'm not talking about, I'm not taking any phone calls from your boss as like, hey, he didn't come into work today because you told him to cease striving. No, I'm talking about pick something that you choose to do because we have put so much in our schedules. And instead, give that time to God. If there's a show you watch, be a week behind. Who cares? If there's a game that you have to see, watch the highlights on YouTube. If you read every night before bed, right? If, you, if there's something that you choose to do, take that and cease striving. Give that time to God instead. Give it to him. Go before him. And I realize this might be a little odd for people. What does this mean? Be still, cease striving. So be honest about it, right? There's nothing wrong with being honest. We should be honest. So there, there's something I do every Tuesday night, right? Every Tuesday night, I'm down in the basement working on my hobby. You know, I'm going to take that hour. I'm going to give it to God. And I'm going to start it with a prayer. God, I've never done this before. I, I don't know what this is supposed to look like. Sam told me to do it. I feel kind of uncomfortable, but you know what? I trust you to be able to work in my life, even if I'm not sure how it's going to go. What's wrong with that prayer? What's wrong with admitting, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I want to know you more. So I would challenge you, pick something in your life and cease striving. Maybe it's 30 minutes, maybe it's an hour, whatever it is, give it to God and give it entirely to God. Surrender it to him. Let's stop striving. Let's be still. Let's look at the pasture he has made for us and let's choose to rest in it. Let's return to him. Let's abide in him. Let's come before him and truthfully say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to be fixed to you, Christ. I want to stand where you stood. I want to walk in the way that you walk. Teach me. That's my challenge this week, right? Let's do it together. Let's see what God teaches us. I've loved the conversations I've been able to have each of the past two weeks with people. People have sent me texts or emails about, hey, I actually tried it, and it, it was pretty cool, right? God taught me this. I found myself thankful for this. I, I learned this. So this week, let's, let's escalate it a little bit. Choose something that busies our lives that distracts us and give that time to God. Give it wholeheartedly to him. Because what I have to ask myself, I ask myself this with far more regularity than I wish, but I make excuses for why I don't have time for God. 
I make excuses for why this week, next week, God, next week, I promise you'll get your time. I'll rest in you next week, but not this week. This week, I'm too busy. This week, I have too much going on. And the question I have to ask myself is, do I really think my life will suffer if I give God my priorities? To go back to that idea of soul that we see, he restores my soul in Isaiah. I will wait for him. In Matthew, find rest for your soul. Do I really think if I make God the number one passion in my life, I'll suffer for it? I think we'd all say, no, I don't think that. Do my actions reflect that I think that? Or if you look at the way I live my life, can you truthfully say, yeah, Sam's passion, Sam's craving, Sam's appetite, the desire that defines his life is for God. Can we say that about ourselves? That the desire that defines my life is to know God. I want us to be a people who we can truthfully say that. I want us to be a church where we can say this is a church that craves God above all else. We won't let anything distract us. We are sheep in His pasture, and it doesn't matter what distracts us. It doesn't matter what loud noise startles us. It doesn't matter what enemy appears on the horizon. We are in God's pasture, and that is where we will remain. We will abide in Him every day of our lives. We have yoked ourselves to Christ, and there is not a thing in this world that could get me to take that yoke off. That's my challenge this week. Rest in the pasture that He's made for us. Give Him the time He's due. Remember, I preached on this last summer. It was the hardest sermon I've ever preached. But it was such a burden. I couldn't not say something. Malachi, God says, don't insult me with your half-hearted offerings. I'd rather you close the doors of the church than insult me with a half-hearted offering. So when we look at our lives, when we look at our time, when we look at giving God our passion, don't insult Him with a half-hearted offering. God doesn't want your scraps. God doesn't deserve your leftovers. God wants all of us. He wants our soul. He wants the things we crave. He wants to be our appetite. I want us to be sheep who He is our appetite. I want to be a sheep who craves God above all else, who looks at the pasture He has made for me and says, that is where I will live every moment of my life. We have a little bit of a chance to do that now. We're going to go into a time of worship and prayer. Uh, we've got a song picked out. I, I know I just said, right, sing the words of these songs and let them be prayers. But this time, listen. Okay? This is a song that is a plea to God. This is a song that is a celebration of God. So I'm going to open us in prayer. And what I'm going to pray is that God would just quiet all of us and move in our hearts. And I would invite you to keep praying or to sit and listen to these words. Let this be a time we are so busy, but for right now, you are here in these seats. So let this be a time of silence and stillness before the Lord. Listen to these words. Plead them with God. Lord, let this be true of my life. Teach me to abide in you. Let's pray. God, it is, 
it is far too easy to leave where you have intended for us. It is far too easy for us to panic and to run. It is far too easy for us to get distracted and to wander. And we ask that you would train us to lie down in the pasture you have made for us. Whatever direction we're heading, if, if it's not even, if it's half a degree off from you, restore us. Correct our direction, God. Let us be trained solely on you. Let us be focused solely on your heart in pursuing you with our lives. Teach us to abide in you. Teach us to remain fixed in Christ. So in this time, as the, as the worship team leads us, we thank you that we can do that. We thank you that we can be still before you. And for those of us who have never done this before, God, teach us. Teach us what this looks like to quiet ourselves before you, to know you more. Let this be a time where you speak to our hearts, where you draw us into your presence so that we can crave this with everything we have. God, I ask that you burden this church. I burden this church with a passion for you. Light a fire under us where the only thing we desire is you. We love you and we praise you. Amen.